We are in for a great time together this morning. The, the speaker that we have this morning, this is his second time that he'll be sharing with us. Doug Marshall was here. How long was it last year, Doug? Two years ago? It was September. It was September. <laughs> and it was so good we brought him back for a second message. He, he spoke on conflict stewardship. That talk is online, so if you missed that message, it is online. You can access it. But um, it's a great honor to have Doug with us. I want to read just a little bit from Doug's bio. So uh, Doug's been a pastor for 39 years. He's a certified communication instructor. He's a certified Christian conciliator and a certified professional coach. Doug's got a passion for equipping Christian leaders to communicate and resolve conflict in a way that brings growth in Christ and furthers the mission of Christ. He's recently published a book called Conversations That Grow, inspired by Ephesians 4.15, which says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Doug will be sharing this morning about how critical it is to equip ourselves and the church to communicate in ways that bring about growth in our own lives and in the lives of others. The skill of communication has been largely overlooked in our efforts to equip leaders in the church and disciple believers in their walk with Jesus. In order for us to grow up into Christ, we need to learn to speak the language of Christ. And so it's going to be a great time together. Let's please give a River West style welcome to Doug Marshall. This is the podium. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, I kind of got the podiums mixed up here, so let me get my stuff down here. You know, I thank you for having me back, um, although it makes me a little worried how desperate you guys are. I, I Okay, you might call me, and it says, all right, but this is actually uh, probably, I'm more passionate about this than conflict resolution. How many of you were here last time? Okay, so a bunch of you were there. That's really good. So um, last time I was here, I had a conversation with you about uh, conflict and how to deal with conflict and how conflict presents us with the most uh, supreme opportunity to grow in our spiritual lives and to help others grow in their spiritual lives. Because whenever there's a conflict, it's revealing something that needs to be addressed. It's, you know, attitude, heart issue, an idol. And so I, I stopped talking about conflict resolution and started talking about conflict stewardship because conflict is this precious commodity where discipleship actually happens, not in the classrooms and, and, and Sunday at church, you know, morning with a preaching. That's, it's when those conflicts are happening, we have to apply the stuff, and that's when true discipleship happens. And so we need to lean, learn to be good stewards of the conflict. And, and sort of, instead of looking at conflict like, ah, you know, let's run from it, we have to change our attitude about it and say, hey, this is an opportunity, and embrace it. And, uh, of course, we need a way to do that. And as a pastor, well, last time I shared with you a little tool called the bridge, okay? And I had a little card, and I had these little cards I handed out. And so if you want one of these, I think I have a few here that you want to get one of these afterwards. I presented this little tool to you on how to deal with conflict. It's called the bridge. And uh, can, can any of you remember, you just saw it, any of the peers? There's four steps that God has given us in the Bible, he's got his card with him. So you could just read it. You know, can anybody remember one of the steps that we need to take to grow through conflict? Just shout it out. If you got the card, go ahead and read it. These guys are just... Go up. Go up. Okay, so align with Christ. All right, that's the first thing we do. And then assess our own part. Now, I don't like that one, but that we need to learn how to do that. Go to the other, uh, uh, appeal to the other person. And that's something we don't do very well at either, and then agree to restore. So those are kind of four basic steps. And, and so as a pastor, people come to me, and uh, they, they have this funny idea that I have solutions. You know, and so they come to me with their conflicts. And, uh, and in my church, though, they know that, you know, what they're going to get is, well, this is exciting, we have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to grow. How are you? How, how's God, God going to help you do that? And and then it says, how's God going to help you work through the bridge? And so you know, people just stop coming to me. And uh, not really, but you know, it's like they know that I'm not going to give them a solution. That there's a path that all of us can take, 
and we teach this at our church. Now they turn it back on me. So when I've got, when I'm, you know, complaining about some issue, they, you know, someone said that conflict is an opportunity. And, and I go, yeah, whoever said that were out of their minds, clearly. And so that's kind of where it's at at our church. And so uh, the bridge is kind of what we talked about last time. But there's a problem, okay? And the problem is, especially with the last two of these, you know, appealing to the other and agreeing to restore, and sometimes in the other two, when it comes to the last two, I actually have to go talk to somebody in a productive way. And I don't know about you, but, you know, there's times, you know, I start with the best of intentions, but the minute I open my mouth, things go south. You ever feel that way? It's like, what happened? You know, it just goes away. And, uh, and, I, and I've discovered that I'm not the only one. And I discovered as I help people with conflict, the conflict still kept going on because of some deeper issues. It's like the guy who says, you know, he's, he's gone through conflict, you know, stewardship, and he knows he needs to make an amends to his wife. So he goes to his wife and says, honey, you know, I, I realize I really screwed up. I hope you can just get over it. Okay, well, you know, that's not going to go very far. Or here's a guy who, you know, uh, you know, he's a manager and he's got to address, you know, th- this guy's not getting the job done. He goes, Sam, your work sucks and it's blanking up the operation. How far is that going to get? And so, you know, we find this stuff and, and, uh, and, and we all struggle with it. And, you know, we might not do this in all our relationships, but especially the closest relationships we have, we, uh, we find there's an issue underneath. See, it's not just about the issues. It's about the way we talk about the issues. It's how we process the issues. And we haven't really been equipped to deal with this. It's, it's how we talk about the issues in our churches, in our marriages, in our businesses, with our neighbors, with our kids. And today we're going to get a little more serious and go a little deeper to the issue that underlays our conflicts. And it has to do with the way we talk about it. It has to do with this issue of communication. Because we're not really equipped to handle this. And, and, and what I've discovered was communication opens up another whole window into the spiritual core of my being. To change my communication, I have to go deep on this. And so we're going to go a little deeper today. And, uh, and what, when we start messing with our communication, we're doing something that directly relates to our walk with Jesus on a daily basis. Uh, in the best-selling book, Crucial Conversations, Patterson and the other offers, they say this. They say, our research has shown that strong relationships, careers, organizations, and communities all draw from the same source of power, the ability to talk openly about high-stakes, emotional, controversial topics. So that's what the business world's saying. And they go on. They go on. They say the difference between the best communities and the good or the worst is not the number of problems they have. All communities face problems. Once again, the difference lies in how they deal with the problems. In the best communities, key individuals and groups find a way to engage in healthy dialogue. And I got to tell you, as a church, as Christians, we're not doing really good at this healthy dialogue thing. You know, and, and worse yet, we're not equipping ourselves. It's, it's not something we equip people to do. And so this, I've been on this journey for a long time as I faced this issue, and I've discovered we're, we're missing... Uh, how to learn how to communicate at two different levels. And the first is just the basic skills level. We just aren't teaching ourselves the skills. There's some skills involved. How many of you play basketball? Any basketball players out here? Okay. Do you remember when you were first taught to shoot a basketball? I, I, I remember, you know, the coaches, and, you know, you take it in one hand, and, and there's, the, there's this thing, and starts, and so there's a right way to sh- shoot a basketball versus two hands, you know. And now I know there's some of you guys out there that probably do that or a ringer, but you know, we know consistency is that one hand. There's a proper form and there's some skills we have to learn to play the game. How many of you golf? Okay, we got some, some of you guys do everything, golfers. Do you remember when you were first taught to swing a club? I still can't get that, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on to, you know, you know, swinging a club. And uh, there's a form. In fact, probably some of you have paid some professional to coach you on that because the skills, the forms are so important. And here, this is a really good question. How many of you dance? 
Got some line dancing or ballroom dancing or what are some others? Uh, square dancing. You know, if you're going to get into that, there's forms you got to learn. And it's about, there's certain skills we have to learn. And we could go on swimming, you know, cooking. I mean, brushing your teeth. Everything in life is about learning certain skills and forms to do it successfully. And you see, and not only do we learn the forms, we have to practice. It's not just a matter of going to a class, oh, I got that. No, you got to take what you learn and then practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. It's a skills issue. And we really don't do that in church. We don't teach it. And communication is no different. We need to learn good form. We need to learn to practice it. And it just doesn't happen. And we, we don't even know how to teach it. The way we teach people to communicate is equivalent to giving a guy a golf ball and a golf club. Who knows? This guy knows nothing about golf. And saying, you see that hole 400 yards out there? Yeah, get this ball in there. Good luck. And that's how we teach communication oftentimes. You know, it it doesn't work that well. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. That is a powerful verse when you think about it. By speaking the truth in love, in all things, we grow up into Christ. Man, talk about a success formula. Instead, speaking the truth in love, growth happens when we learn to speak the truth in love. And so those of us who are pastors and equippers, we go, okay, we got to equip the people to do that, so let's do it. All right, guys, go out there, and when you talk to people, speak the truth and speak the love and, and loving, and if possible, do it at the same time. All right? Go out there and do it. Let's pray. That's kind of what we do when it comes to this communication stuff. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like going out and saying, and when you go out and talk, be nice. Be nice. Guys, to be honest with you, I'm a guy. Half the time, I don't know when I'm not being nice. Some of you relate to that. My wife has to tell me, right? Honey, you, you really weren't so nice to so-and-so. Have you ever had that from your wife? And I, what I say? I'm a little clueless. It's like, I, you know, we just don't know because we haven't been equipped. And... Uh, and so we need to learn the, score, uh, the skills, the forms, but it isn't easy. And this is where the challenge comes to us. And there's a whole new level, other level, of learning communication skills. It's not just about the skills. It's about what goes on in our heart. So there's the skill form level, but then there's a spiritual level that also has to be addressed in the conversation. This is what Jesus says. In Luke 6.45, he says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. Wow. So whatever's in my heart is going to come out my mouth. And I've experienced that, you know, good or bad. And I can learn all the skills I want. But if I don't change what's in here in the act of communication and learn how to do that, it doesn't matter. The skills, either I'm going to forget the skills. You know, I teach this stuff, and I still have conversations with my wife. It's just, it's like, what happened to the skills? What happened to the stuff I teach? It's like, what happened? Or when my heart isn't right, I will use the skills in a manipulative way. Those are two things that goes wrong. My heart has to be right because out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouth speaks. And this is where I made another discovery in my own spiritual journey. Like conflict, communication is this awesome opportunity to grow because it's in the conversation. It's in the communication that if I focus on that and see what's going on in that thing, I'm going to find the ways that I need attitudes, you know, idols, heart issues that need to be surrendered to Jesus in the act of communication. And some of my deepest issues have been revealed through this. But this is a tough thing. I mean, this is hard. Listen to what James says. This is quite a long passage, but James talks about our tongue. In James 3, he says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses 
we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it's, itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So much for positive affirmation, you know, right? It's like, geez, you know. And this is where we need to get honest with ourselves and get past some of our denial. You know, can some of you think of conversations you've had? where you've done damage, where you've caused harm. And, uh, you know, with your wife, with your kids, at work, at church, man, think of it. And in this passage, two things are brought to light in James' passage. First, it's how powerful the tongue is, how influential it is. The horse is directed by a little bit. Whole ships are directed by this little rudder. The whole ship of your church the whole ship of your marriage, the whole ship of your family or business or whatever is, is guided by this, this thing in our mouths, our, our tongue. And some of our ships are taken on water. Some of our ships are sinking because we haven't learned how to speak the truth and love and communicate and listen. And yes, listening's a part of what I'm talking about. If you didn't get the memo, you know, when we talk about talking, it's talking and listening. Whole forests are set on fire because of the way we talk and listen or not. And so we need to appreciate the the gravity of this. So in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death. Man, they're not kidding. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I've had to learn this the hard way. This is probably another reason I do this is, you know, I've done some horrible things with my mouth. I, you know, the, one of the things that weighs on my conscience the most is uh, in, in before I, I'm in Wilsonville right now in Valley Christian Church, but I, I did a church plant down in Central California, and there was this family that came, but the husband was just a, you know, hardcore alcoholic, and he would, he would show up every once in a while, and I built an, uh, a relationship with Ron, and this guy just had a hard life, but he just couldn't get it together, and uh, now I don't know about how you guys relate, but in our men's fellowships, we give each other a hard time. Do you guys do that? We pick on each other and we rib each other and, you know, we call each other names. It's just, it's just, it's the male culture. We do this. And so, you know, I was doing this wrong. One time he came, you know, I hadn't seen him well. He showed up at a potluck and, and I made this comment. I said, man, you're just like a bad penny. You keep showing up, you know, in a joking way. I didn't think anything of it. Man, but you, you, sometimes you, know, you got to think about what comes out of your mouth. You can't do that with a man who has no self-esteem. Uh, moved up here. I got a call from his wife years later. Says, "Yeah, Ron d- died. He walked in front of a vehicle. Think we think he might have done it on purpose." And I, I hate to tell you this. One of the things he told me before he died was that you know even the pastor doesn't think I'm worth anything. He said, "I'm just like a bad penny." Man, I didn't mean that, but that's what I said, and that's what. One of the things that stuck with this guy, I know I'm not responsible ultimately for that man's death, but I know I put a nail in his coffin. And the tongue has the power of life and death. With shame, I can tell you I've made my wife cry with my words. Man, you know. And then, you know, there's all these other stories. I remember at Lloyd Center, you know, Christmas season, like right now, they're shopping, and we're trying to get a parking place, and we're going up the parking garage, you know, and you're driving. We're at the top floor. One place is open, but the guy right next to it parked crooked. You ever had one of those experiences? And so I just, I was just able to squeak in, and, and we had to do one of these things where you open the door, you have to suck into there, you kind of get out like that. And I was ticked, and I, I yelled to my wife, what stupid idiot parks like this? And at that very moment, this dear, sweet little lady with a cane, no less, says, oh, dear, did I park crooked? <sighs> or then there's the time at Fred Meyer. 
where, you know, I, my son's with me. He was 10 years old at the time. He's sitting there. And again, the, 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 the traffic was bad. And, and I had to cross from one parking lot area to the other. I had to go across the main thoroughfare. I looked both ways. It was clear. I came. Well, some guy came racing by. And I had to slam on the brakes because this guy was speeding through the parking lot. And so I said, that stupid dingo right there in front of my son. So I got through and I couldn't find a place. So I had to cross that same thoroughfare, you know, a few minutes later. And I didn't look too well. And I started crossing and I cut someone else off. And they had to honk on me. And I just sheepishly went by. And and my son looks at me and says, gee, Dad, now you're the dingo. You know, you t- I didn't say, you know, I, I, I didn't say anything because I just wanted to kill my son at that point. But, uh, you know, I speak from experience. I, I, I've, you know, the, power, the tongue has the power of death. And, uh, and too often it's death. And we're just not addressing this in the church. We're not equipping people. We're not giving people the details. Of, okay, how do I do this? How do we learn this? Because it's not something you just take a class for. It has to become a deal. It has to become a focus. I was having lunch with a friend a while back whose career had been in HR. I mean, he, he did this for, you know, decades and decades. And, uh, and we were, you know, talking about things. And we started, we got on the topic of how sometimes pastors are fired or unceremoniously dismissed from their churches. And we began comparing notes. And this guy, you know, he's in the HR field, and he explained to me the proper process you know, that you, do, you go through to deal with someone in an organization who's not living up to expectations. He says, this is how it's done. And then we compared to that how churches often get rid of their pastors. And it's embarrassing. It's plain embarrassing. I wish I could say that sometimes the church is no better than the world on these matters, but that's not true. The world does it better. The world has more grace and fair play and equity in dealing with things like this than the church. There's, you know, the horror stories of what the church is doing. And these are church leaders. Leadership that doesn't even know. And the same thing is with our closest relationships. We say things to our wives and kids we'd get fired for at work, right? What's going on? See, our relationships do not reflect Christ because we don't know how to bring Christ into our conversations yeah, my name is Susan Scott, wrote this book called Fierce Conversations. It's a great read. Some of you have probably read it. But she made this phenomenal observation, very profound. She says, the conversation is not about the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. The conversation is not about the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. And, uh, you know, that's where the change happens. Relationships are based on the conversations we have. The Christian walk is all about relationships. And so if we're going to walk the Christian walk, we have to have better relationships. And the only way you have better relationships is to have better conversations. And we just aren't addressing that. And so as I've focused on changing the conversation with my wife in the past 15, 20 years, it's changed my marriage. I think last time I shared with you, at one point I thought she was the devil. And now I, she's God's gift to me. And we are, our marriage is the best it's ever been. But it started me looking at how I relate to my wife, and it started by looking at the conversations I have with her. And, that had, and I had to change the conversation. To change the DNA of my relationship, I had to change the conversation. And my church, my church leadership and churches, as I changed my conversations with my leadership, it changed the way we do church. It changed how things... So, for instance, when we run into disagreement in a leadership meeting at church, and we do, okay, the question is, how are we going to grow in this conversation? And so, you know, for us, growing in and through the conversation process is more important than any resolution or outcome we're going to have. That's where the discipleship happens. That's where we're going to reflect Christ. That's where we're going to experience God. And so, for us, it's not about the solutions and the outcomes. It's about how we get there. And so... That's kind of how we are. And this is where we actually get to practice all the stuff Jesus tells us to do. Be loving and humble and patient. It's in the conversation. And uh, Susan Scott goes on to say, yes, the conversation is the relationship. One conversation at a time. One conversation at a time you're building, destroying, or flatlining your relationships. 
But like I said, changing the way we communicate is not an easy task. Like James says, it's impossible. He says we have very little ability to manage our mouths. No man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. The toughest addiction we all have to face is our mouths. And we all have that problem. I think I shared with you last time, I struggle with codependency and addiction issues. And God has given me freedom in there, but it came, the whole process of growth came to a grinding halt because I wasn't taking the freedom of Christ and, and the recovery principles further into my relationships. And so, I, I, man, I hit this wall, and I couldn't go further until I changed my relationships with those people around me, and that involved changing my conversations. But I discovered I just did not have the ability to change myself. Like Paul says, the very thing I wanted to do or say, I didn't seem to say. And the very thing I swore I wouldn't say comes tumbling out of my mouth. Any relate to that? That's how we're wired. And so what do we do? What experience, strength, and hope can I share with you today? Is there a solution? Well, yeah, there's a solution. But it's not simple. It's not easy. And I'm certainly not going to give you the whole solution in 15, 20 minutes. I'm not even sure what time it is. And so we got a little bit of time here. There's a whole bunch of stuff. There's, there's training and principles and stuff we'd have to cover. And so, but, but I can get you started. I'll get you started with a few things today. And before we, you know, we, we go into depth, the basic thing for any kind of change is just awareness, self-awareness. We have to take stock of how we actually behave in the communication process. There's a proverb in Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Apparently, keeping corrupt talk from my lips and perversity from my mouth is directly related to guarding my heart. And I need to guard my heart. In Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. To change, I have to stop and guard my heart. I have to be, weigh my answer. I have to become aware of some things. And I explain it this way. When we're communicating with others, there's actually two conversations going on. There's the conversation I'm having with you, okay? But there's also this other conversation going on right up here or in here. And it's going on simultaneously. Well, it's just a little bit ahead, and I need to become aware of that conversation. And, uh, and here's the deal. The conversation out here will be dictated by the conversation in here. And I can't change the conversation I'm having with you until I change the conversation I'm having with myself. But most of us are just unaware of that conversation. And we need to begin paying attention to it. To guard my heart, to weigh my answers, to become self-aware, I need to pay attention to that other you know, conversation, but it won't happen unless I make a deliberate, intentional effort to listen for it, and not just once, again and again, because it's typically just below my consciousness, and it happens at lightning-fast speeds. At first, the best you will be able to do it, I'm able to do, is, is just play the tapes after a bad conversation. You ever do that? It just, you just have this horrendous conversation, and you go back, and thank goodness for instant replay. What happened? Now, t now, typically, going back to the conflict stuff, we, we replay all the stuff they did wrong. But I want you to replay the tapes, and this time, look at your conversation. Look at the, the heart conversation. What was going on? What was my part? What, what needs to change in the way I talk to my wife or that person or that guy at the checkout counter or, you know, whoever's just giving you grief? What, what has to happen? And we become aware. And the more you practice, the more you become aware but one of the biggest reasons we fail is we're just clueless about what's going on inside us. You can't communicate what you're not aware of. You've got to become aware. So to help you on this today, I've given you a little tool that I, that I teach. And uh, there's a little card on your table. And hopefully you have one. If, there's, if you don't, you can share. But there's some others. I think i got some extra out here. And uh, I call this the eye map uh, for a couple obvious reasons. It's in the shape of an eye. And there's a pronoun I right in the middle. And so on the face of it, this is a communication tool. 
it's, it, there's five listening skills, so there's listening, and there's five talking skills, and it's the eye orientation. When I talk, I, I speak eye messages. For any of you who know something about eye messages, and so it's, it's, a, it's a, a map to talk and listen. I can't get into that today. That, that would take a few more. I mean, you know, you'd have to, you know. The first function of this tool is awareness, and I want to draw your attention to the bottom, those five things, because if you're going to become aware of what's going on in that conversation inside yourself, you need to begin breaking your experience into five distinct categories, and I think you might find this helpful. And in, inside my head, I've got my data. That's just my, we usually call it the facts. It's my sensory experience. It's what I actually see and hear and taste and touch and smell. And so there's this part of me, it's just the raw sensory data. So I got it, I, I got it, okay, that's my data. Then there's my thoughts, and we, we can't confuse my thoughts with my data. Data's different than what I think about my data. My thoughts are my interpretations, my beliefs, my assumptions. And so we make a lot of jumps from what we actually see and hear to what we think about it. And so I have my thought life my beliefs, my opinions, my convictions. And so I, I have to become aware of that part of the conversation in my head. And then I need to become aware of my wants, my desires, my wishes. That is a separate category of our experience that I need to become aware of. Well, what is it I want? And we're going to find that we have a, a, more than one, and sometimes they're in conflict with each other. We have to become aware of that because this is going on as I'm talking with others. And then I have to become aware of my feelings, my emotions. And again, we're not very aware oftentimes of what we're feeling. And when, you know, we don't even know what to call our feelings sometimes. So I need to become aware of that part of my life, that emotional, affective part of my life. And then finally, my deeds. My deeds is kind of as a part, as a, as a, as a type of data, but it's about myself. When I'm aware of my deeds, it's my perception of my own actions. What, I, what am I saying right now? How am I behaving? How am I coming across? And it can be in the past. What did I say yesterday? What did I do yesterday? So my deeds is data about myself. And so these are five areas. And what I discovered is as I work at dividing my experience up in these five categories, I realize there's a conversation going on between these five parts. And they all play an integral part in what comes out of my mouth. Now, the most important thing we need to become aware of in the conversation is our wants. What is it I really want? What's my intentions? And the reason for that is that communication is fundamentally intentional. We communicate because we want something. I don't communicate because I think something. I don't even communicate because I feel something. I communicate because I want something. I probably want you to know what I think and feel. But that's what I'm trying to go for. And if I didn't want you to know what I think or feel, I wouldn't communicate. And how many leaders we got here? Uh, that's a trick question. You're all leaders, in case you didn't know that. We're all leaders. As leaders, we're into influence. And so nine times out of ten, we not only want people to know what we think and feel, we want people to agree with what we think or feel. I want you to be like me, and that's just kind of how leadership operates. We need to become aware of what, what is it you want. When you open your mouth, ask yourself, what do I want when I speak? Just that little bit of awareness can change everything for you, and uh, it can change things. I'm making a little progress here. I, a while back, I discovered a new white shirt I had just bought got wrecked in the laundry, you know, and in the old days, I'd have gone to my wife and said, look what you did. You know, maybe some of you would do that. I, that's how I operate, and because you know, it was her fault. She washed it, her washing machine. And I stopped, and I, you know, go, she didn't wreck my shirt. The washing machine did. And, and so I had to ask myself, what, do you, you know, what is it you want? Well, I'd like to find out what happened, and I'd like to find a solution. And uh, so instead of going to my wife, blaming her, Inventing, because I did what I want to do is vent and blame. Part of me wanted to do that, but I stopped. What do I really want? Well, I just kind of like to figure out what happens so it doesn't happen again, and maybe we can fix this. And that changed how I communicated. So I brought the shirt to her, and in a very non-judgmental, no accusations. Hey, my shirt got wrecked. You know, and any ideas? 
And you know, lo and behold, she was as sad about as I was. And she didn't know what happened, and we had a decent conversation. And, and, and what's even cooler, she took the shirt and she went to great efforts to get the stains out. I mean, she went to bat for me. We still couldn't figure out what happened. We have theories, you know, bleach and this might have happened, and we, we still don't know. But uh, I, didn't spend, I didn't have to spend a week on the couch because I just simply asked myself, what is it you want? When you go into your board meeting, when you talk to the employer, your employer, when you talk to your kids, ask yourself, what is it you want? Because what we want drives how we communicate. And that little piece right there can change things. Now, this is just the first step. Awareness is just a first step. And, uh, and it's, it's just a starting point, because then once you fit, become aware of what's there, then you have to figure out what to do with it. And that's another whole lesson. And that's like, you know, it's a, it's a big deal, and there's more to learn and that kind of thing. But here's, let me give you this, you know, in a nutshell, what it involves. So to change the conversation with you, I have to change the conversation with me. And here's what I've discovered. The only way to change the conversation with me is to bring Jesus Christ into that conversation. Every conversation, not just occasionally, every conversation. Let me go back to Susan Scott. In her book, Fierce Conversation, she shares an amazing mission statement that's really captured my heart. And this is what it is. Achieving success at work and life, one conversation at a time. One conversation at a time. So my mission statement is to grow in Christ, one conversation at a time. To help others grow, one conversation at a time. To grow the church, one conversation at a time. To grow and expand Christ's kingdom, one conversation at a time. And in my ministry, you know, I do some of this big planning and, you know, the most leadership stuff. But nine times out of ten, I wake up in the morning and say, God, help me have Christ-like conversations throughout my day. And I've discovered God does some amazing things when all I try to do is to build others and grow myself one conversation at a time. I can't say I'm batting a thousand. I can tell you I'm not. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. In fact, I can't even figure out why God has me doing this, to be honest. It's like there's people out there who know more about communication than I do, and they communicate better than I do. And the only thing I can think of is that I got this passionate conviction that this is the most strategic thing we need to address in the church today. It just is. What I like to tell people is if we fail here, we fail everywhere. If we succeed here, we succeed everywhere. Just think about it. Everything we do flows through the gateway of communication. You know, in our everyday conversations, the conversation is the most basic unit of discipleship on the planet. Uh, it's, it's how we lead discipleship, evangelism, mentoring, teaching, directing, managing, coaching, counseling, team building, planning, vision casting, correction, problem solving, not to mention relationship building. If we fail here, we fail everywhere. If we succeed here, we succeed everywhere. And uh, everything hinges on the act of communication. And we just need to step up our game. Each one of us, as men of God, as leaders, need to say, all right, God, I need to figure out how to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is literally the E equals MC squared to the spiritual universe. Man, there's power there. But we need to learn how to do it. And when we learn to consistently have conversations that grow, we will grow. The church will grow. And Christ's kingdom will come. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. How many of you want to grow? How many, how many of you want to be able to grow others? How many of you want to see the church grow? Guess what? You need to learn how to have conversations that grow and speak the truth in love. Amen? That's all I got for you today. And so, any questions that I could help feel today or are you guys satisfied? Right back here. Well, since, let's see, what time are we doing here? Oh, we're good. We got, we're doing fine. So on this card, there's five talking skills and five listening skills. So in a nutshell on this, the five, once I become aware of my data, thoughts, wants, feelings, and deeds, I can make I statements about that, not you statements. I, this is 
what I see and hear, and this is what I think and believe, and, and I can lighten up on that. This is what I, 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 it's possible I think this is going on. My, I can state my wants. I can state my feelings. I feel, and I can say, well, this is what I've been doing and doing. And so I can have, there's five talking skills, and we can go into that. The five listening skills, that's almost another whole session. But the five listening skills, the first one is just pay attention. Most of us don't even know how to pay attention. And when you pay attention, you now are paying attention to the other people's, you know, data. What's your data? What are your thoughts? What are your wants? What are your feelings? What are your de- And so now I'm listening to you with a framework. What's their experience? So attention. And you always go back to attention. And then over here you've got this little thing called reflect. And reflect is, is where you simply repeat back in your own words, what you just heard them say. It's usually one word, two words, or a short sentence. It's just a simple reflect. And again, we could spend more. Uh, a sum up is longer. You know, have you ever had someone who kind of goes on, you can't get a word in edge rise, and, and so you, can I, can I summarize what I'm hearing so far? And you kind of summarize the whole deal. So those are two feedback types of listening skills. On the other side, though, you have query and questions. A query is a real open request for information, and it goes like this. Like, if you're going to start a conversation with a query, you go, hey, what's going on? How's your day? What's up? Que pasa? It's just a, hey, I want to know. It's open, general, not specific. And so that's how you start a conversation. In the middle of a conversation, you go, keep going. I'm listening. At the end of a conversation, a query is, anything else? Tell me more. It's just really, does that answer your question? That's what a query is. It's just an open invitation to share more information, and that is a powerful tool. And people get, in fact, that's another joke in our church because I go, anything else? Anything else? And it's like, it's like that's what I, because people share. And before I talk, before I share my two cents, which I really want to do, and most of us are leaders, we go, oh, well, I can solve that. I got information for you. You need to stop and query. Anything else? Tell me more. And generally, the thing they tell you after that is the gold. is Because they've been holding back on you. If you just hold out and say anything else, anything else, you finally get to what they really want to tell you. And then questions are more specific. You can have open and closed questions, but they're generally more specific. So how do you feel about that? Well, so what did you do? Or what are your options? Or, and questions is a whole, I mean, there's whole methodologies built on questions. And so did that answer your question? All right, probably more than you asked for, but I thought I'd give you the whole explanation of the tool. So anyone else? Any other questions? All right. You guys are communicators. This is, oh, right here. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good question, Kip. That's like... Yeah. <laughs> my wants. My wants. What, what do you want? I want my hair to be covered. And I want to wear this hat that I got that I never get to wear. And I knew you guys would like it. <laughs> yeah, how many places can you wear it? That's true. It's like you get away with stuff like that. No. No. Yeah. Anything else? You guys, are, you guys are quick studies. Yeah. 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 Tell me more about that. Back here. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, and again, there's, it's heart. There's things going on in our heart that make it conversations hard. And I, know I have another tool I call a process compass, and uh, it has to do with internal intentions. And <laughs> generally, when I communicate, I want to be in control. And if I think I can't be in control or it's out of my control, I'm going to be fearful. And then we go into certain communication patterns that are typically controlling and they can be aggressive or they can be passive, you know, whatever. And there's all, and so, but there's another whole direction we can go. And that is, and, and when we control, by the way, we're not communicating, we're just controlling. Control and communication are two separate, 
you know, antithetical intentions. You can't do both. You got to let go of control and communicate. And to communicate, you got to let go of control. And the only way to communicate is to bring Jesus Christ into the conversation. And that happens by trusting Jesus Christ, first and foremost, with the outcome, with the whole thing. And there's been many conversations I go, and I don't want to have this conversation, but I, I've prayed about it. I know God wants me to have it, and I go into it trusting him. Like today, you know, I didn't want to, I, 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 I do this, but I, I always have this nervousness, and am I going to do okay? All the human stuff, and, you know, I got to tell you, all right, God, I know you want me to do this. I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. This is a conversation. When I speak to people, it's a conversation. And so trusting Jesus and bringing into that. Now, it's not something you learn overnight, but that's the key. You go in and you say, God, I'm going to let you be in control of this, and I'm going to do my best not to. And then learning how to get into the conversation, and then they're going to say all kinds of stuff that trigger you, and then it makes you want to go back into control mode. Just learning how to trust Jesus and listen, and then use your skills. You go, okay, and not react ask questions, listen, then you, and so it's a growing process, but it's about trusting Jesus. Is that helping you? And, uh, and here's the other thing. When I trust Jesus, um, there's a whole lot of conversations I don't want to have, and because I don't have them, my relationships suffer. The business suffers. Churches suffer because there's conversations, fierce conversations that need to happen. We don't happen because we're, we're afraid. When we trust in God, he will help us be bold. He will help us to have those tough conversations that absolutely need to happen. You got a friend who's in addiction. You got to confront them on that in a Christ-like way. We don't want to do that. But again, that's part of the process. And then there's these conversations, and most of us like this way. Not only can Christ help us be bold and say the things we don't want to say, He can also help us shut up and be silent. And most of us, that's our addiction right there. We can't be silent. We can't not influence. We need to be able to stop and say, all right, Jesus, help me be silent. Just like Jesus was silent when he was led to his death. He was silent. How do you do that? Speaking where we don't want to speak and not speaking where everything in us wants to speak, that's addictive power of sin right there, and we need God's help to help us do that. Does that make sense? Any others? Projected. Yeah. On you. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. I mean, that's, I'm still at my own perspective, right? Like, I'm here now, but I'm the subject of the conversation. Yeah. I don't have an opportunity, like, okay, okay, Lord, I'm going to go into this conversation because you're sitting on the couch or you walk into the room and, oh, that conversation kind of bonks you in the face. Yeah. And so, how do you, how do you initially normally react when that happens? Yeah, defense. That's what I was. That's where I go, and defensiveness was one of the huge communication patterns I had to break. There's a guy named John Gottman. Have you heard John Gottman? Yeah, he's a really. This is guy up in Seattle that does marriage therapy, and he's amazing. He can listen to like, you know, a minute of a couple's conversation and predict with like 99% accuracy whether the couple's going to stay together. It's just like amazing, and he says, you know, defensiveness. And uh, stonewalling are two of men's oftentimes greatest communication barriers. And then criticism and contempt are two other things. So he has these four communication patterns. And defensiveness is huge. And I read his book and I said, geez, I'm defensive with my wife all the time. She will, you know, ambush me with this stuff. And I go into defensive mode. And my ego and my self-esteem is so sensitive that any little criticism she throws at me, just I get defensive and that is definitely a communication issue. You have, again, it's an attitude of the heart. And I had to realize, you know, I have to stop being defensive. 
And that involved me not controlling and trusting Jesus and having a little conversation in my head in the conversation. Okay, Jesus, here we go. I believe that I'm good enough in you. My identity is solid. And, uh, and, and by the way, she might have some truth. I know. I, I understand. I, I'm right with you. And, and sometimes she's right, dead on. Sometimes she's not. She's just projecting her stuff. Either way, I have to. And so I just, okay, tell me more about that. I listen. I use the listening skills. Tell me more. Yeah, that's, and that's just, that's one of the things. Or, especially early on, I didn't react. I mean, I just kept my mouth shut. It, that took all of God's power in me not to react and say anything. I just go, oh, okay. And that was, that's the best I could pull off. But that was better than going, being defensive and saying things back and then getting in a fight. So good, that is a really good question. And we all struggle with that. Right back here. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yes. It is. Yeah, honey, I'll take that under advisement. That's not what they want to hear. No, you're right. And so, and again, when we talk about listening skills, and again, if, if you're a real master, you'll go, well, tell me more. And then you reflect back. So you think da-da-da, and you feel this way, and, and, and they go, yeah. And, uh, and you... And, and you go, okay, or you go, would you mind if I think about that for a little bit? And she'd probably go, okay. But you could do that. And she, at least she feels heard. At least she feels heard and that you just didn't shut her down and that you were open to the con. And that's, he's right on. And that's how we do that, but that's not what we do. We, we get body language, you know, we get all tense. She can, you know, she can see us shut down. And then we, you know, go into the typical you know, comments that are defensive, either attack back or defend or what have you, and it's very good. So anyhow, all right, others? We got it covered? All right. Hey, thank you guys, and uh, if you need anything, I've, I've, uh, I do have some books for sale. I'm not going to, it's not a big deal for me, but if you have more questions, you can come up to me afterwards. All right? Okay, do I close this thing in prayer or? Okay. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are a God of communication. Your son is called the word. And Father, may we just become people who speak the language of the kingdom. And when people hear us speak with grace and, and experience the salt in our language and the truth and love, may they be attracted to you and see that, man, you really are in our relationships, that the gospel is true because it shows up in how we treat each other in our language. So Father, help each of us become equipped in speaking the truth in love so that we in all things can grow up unto you. Amen.